Awesome job. How about that? Pastor Eric leading us. That was cool. And how about Eric and Cambria leading worship together this morning? That's my dream. Someday my daughter and I doing ministry together. I, I only cried once, Eric, so when I saw that, that was awesome. Praise God. What a great way to start the new year in the Lord's house together as a church. Amen. And I'm so excited about uh, looking into the future and, and really hearing God about what he has for us in 2017 and, and for me personally and my family. But before we, we kind of dive into the, the dreaming about that, let's, let's just take a look backwards first. Can we do that? So let's back up like 2,000 years. And let's pretend we're in Jerusalem. <laughs> you would see rabbis just walking around with their, their protégés behind them. You'd see rabbis in the Jewish faith with their disciples following them around. And, and it would be quite an odd sight to our culture today to see this because they would dress the same. They would talk the same. And as a matter of fact, a, a disciple of a rabbi would, would go so far as to, to try to walk the same pace and, and the same kind of strides as their rabbi. There was this total imitation that would take place. Every part of their life was, was about imitating the master, imitating the rabbi, the way the rabbi chewed, the way the rabbi ate, the, the, the tempo of his speech. Everything that the rabbi did, the disciple would try to emulate. And so Jesus, as he becomes a rabbi and he takes on his disciples, it was about imitation for these young men. It was about, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this Jesus that we have been watching perform these miracles and, and teach these phenomenal teachings that are just blowing our minds. But it wasn't just about imitation back then. You kind of lost yourself. You kind of lost your own identity if you were a disciple of a rabbi. As a matter of fact, to, to be a follower of a rabbi was a life of total surrender. It was a life of total surrender. Not the, the pick and choose mentality of discipleship that we have today. Today, if, we, if we're being discipled, we kind of think of it like this. When I have time, I'll meet with you probably once every other week or something. You'll, you'll be my discipler and I'll be your disciple. We don't call people rabbis anymore, right? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a few things and learn from you, the things that I like. I'm going to apply that to my life. And if, if something just doesn't really jive, I'm just going to put that on the shelf. No thank you. And if you really challenge me hard... I'll just go to another church. I'll just go to another place, another discipler. There's many of them out there. That's this pick and choose mentality of discipleship that we have somehow adopted in the 21st century, and that was never the intentionality of it. To be a disciple of the rabbi, to be a disciple of Jesus, is a life of total surrender. Surrender means that you submit some things, these things, but not limited to these things. You ready for the list? You submit your worldview. You don't get to have your own worldview anymore. You have God's worldview. You submit your paradigm, maybe your career, your personality, your character, your ethics, your desires, your motivations, your values, 
your family dynamics, your ego, your sexuality, and your attitudes. Sounds easy, right? To follow a rabbi is a life of total conformity. You don't get to keep anything to yourself. There's nothing off limits in your life. And we saw that with Jesus and his disciples. He would speak in to the the most hidden places, wouldn't he? Peter, you will deny me three times. And as they're, as they're walking into Jerusalem and there's whisperings behind, they're, they're being really quiet. Jesus could never know what we're saying, but we're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus turns around and says, what were you guys arguing about back there on the road? Attitudes, heart desires, motives, all of it subject to the rabbi, all of it subject to our savior, our teacher, our master. So as we're about to read John 14, 1 through 6, and we're going to continue on in this series, Portraits of Jesus, and one, this story here, I want you to keep this in mind, this, this idea of total surrender to the rabbi. This idea that Jesus invited his disciples into that kind of relationship, and therefore Jesus invites us, his current disciples, into that kind of relationship. No holds barred. Nothing held back. No secrets. Everything we are trying to imitate and be like Jesus in our lives. Amen. Can we do that while we read John 14? You can turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have Bibles, there's some in the seats in front of you there. Grab it. We're going to be in John 14. Let us pray. Lord God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our hearts. And Lord, we are excited about 2017, and I am just, I love when I get to start 2017 in your house and in your presence with you speaking to me and speaking to us. And Lord, would you do what you do best? Would you lead us today? Holy Spirit, would you be here? Let us dwell in your presence. And may 2017 for this church be the year of your presence, the year of your glory. We invite you into every aspect of who we are and what we do here. And Lord, speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know where you are going, so how can, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, amen. That was through seven. I tricked you. Happy New Year. (laughs) So Jesus has, uh, what's happening here is Jesus has told them that he's going to go away. So imagine being a disciple of this rabbi. So you have left everything. Okay, think about Peter. He left his business. He left his, his wife, his mother-in-law. He just left the nets in the water and took off to follow Jesus. They've followed Jesus now. We're going on three years that they've been following him. And all of a sudden, Jesus one morning says, hey, great news, guys. I'm going away. 
I'm not going to be here any longer. So imagine how disheartening that must be. It, it, for them, it felt like this has all been for naught. This has all been a waste. So you're telling me now that you're going away. You're not going to be here anymore. You're not fulfilling the promises that we thought you were telling us. But Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and also believe in me. I am going ahead of you to prepare a place. Now, they had just zero context of heaven and, and all of these things in, in the way that we think of it today. They definitely believed in resurrection and eternal life and these kind of things, but, it, but they had no idea that Jesus would be going and, and that, that we, would, we would actually be with him for eternity. So they must be thinking, well, okay, are you going to a different, a different town and you're, you're going to set up a, your father's dead? So there's just a lot of confusion that we see, and I think it's easy for us to look back at these early disciples and say, ah, you guys are fools, what were you doing? But, but really, they just, they didn't have the background and the context that we have, so they were deeply troubled. They were deeply stressed out about this. They thought that all of these great plans and things that they had in this new direction for their life was crumbling. And so it's not that odd that we see Thomas saying, hey, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. Are you going to Galilee? Are you, are you going to, to Jerusalem? Where, where are you going to prepare this place? We don't, even, we don't even know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way? It reminds me of a, a story that Billy Graham tells uh, about early on in his ministry when he uh, arrived in a small town to preach a sermon. And he wanted to mail a letter in those days, so he asked a young boy... Uh, hey, if, if, if you could tell me where the, the post office is, that'd be super helpful. So the boy gives him directions. And then Billy Graham, being ever the evangelist that he was, says, Hey, young man, since you helped me out and you, you showed me where the post office is, why don't you show up tonight? I'm going to be preaching, and I, I can show you how to get to heaven. And so the young boy thought about it for a minute. says, Sir, I don't think I'm going to show up. And Billy Graham says, Well, why is that? He says, Well, you don't even know how to get to the post office. How do you know how to get to heaven? <laughs> That's kind of like how these early disciples were. They had no clue. They didn't even know what they didn't know. But thankfully, we have a Savior who knows where the post office is and knows where heaven is. Amen. And so Jesus gives this just phenomenal, brilliant, most convincing answer that gives me so much comfort in this new year. In verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, you've got to understand this I am statement is, is pretty powerful, okay? We say I am all the time in our culture, don't we? So, you know, I, I am a preacher, or I am a youth worker, or I am a deacon, I am an elder, I am a whatever you do for a living, I am a father, I am a mother. But that word I am in this culture was a very, very sacred word because if you recall, this is what God called himself the burning bush with Moses. When Moses says, hey, who should I say is sending me when I go to Pharaoh? God said, I am who I am. So this word I am was not thrown around. This phrase I am was not thrown around like it is today. And so people might ask you, hey, where does Jesus ever say that he's God? You can point right here. The book of John has several of them, and, and here we see three examples. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What he is saying is, I am God, and God is. And what's so beautiful about that is that there's this mystery of God when he, when he appears to Moses. I am who I am. You're just going to have to discover who I am, Moses. 
But here we have God who has put on flesh for us, become a rabbi and invited us to be disciples. And he starts to really spell out who God is. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. <clears throat> so I think it would help us to understand this relationship with us as a disciple and Jesus as our rabbi if we were to really look a little bit deeper into these I am statements. Thankfully, when, he, when Jesus says, I am the way, Jesus declares, I am the way, He's not saying, I am the way to the post office, amen. But there's something so much deeper. This question, uh, you are the way to what? Are you, or, or you are the way to where? Looms when we think of that, right? We met, we've all memorized this verse, but have you really dug deep to think about what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the way? First, Jesus is the way to the Father, Jesus is the way to intimacy and relationship with God. Now, I know there's, there's people in this room who probably didn't have a phenomenal relationship with your father, but the way God intended it was to be this intimate sh- relationship with a strong father who's secure, who provides, who gives wisdom and comfort and challenge, but is always available. And I know, know growing up when, when I finally, my dad adopted me when I was five years old. And I remember one of my favorite places in life, once I kind of got used to that, was his lap. I always felt safe in my dad's lap. That's where I wanted to be until I got a little old and that got weird, right? But I wanted to be in my father's lap. Now imagine, okay, an earthly relationship where it was physically impossible for you because of a separation, maybe of, of distance or, or communication barrier, whatever it is, it's physically impossible, literally impossible for you to have that kind of intimacy with your father. Jesus gives us the way to have intimacy with the father in heaven. He, he stops that because you remember what the wager of sin is? It's death. But not just death, it's separation with the father in heaven. In our day and age, we love grace, right? Of course we love grace. It's, it's phenomenal, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. We're all about grace here at SCC too. But then we forget or we seem to minimalize this idea, this reality of sin and what it does. Sin separates us from God. A most holy God cannot entertain and be in the presence of sin. He just can't do it without the sacrifice of what Jesus did. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus took away this separation of sin. If we have faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we now can crawl up in the lap of our Father. There is intimacy with God because Jesus is the way. The other thing that Jesus is the way to is eternal life. There's a lot of pastors out there these days that that want to minimize hell as well. Or to say that hell really doesn't exist. Or to try to work their way around it in scripture. But Jesus reaffirmed so many times, didn't he? That that hell is a reality. Hell is a real place. Now, if we know the true gospel, we recognize and realize that it's kind of hard to go to hell. You have to really try to go to hell in the sense that you have to reject God, right? I mean, it's a free gift, brothers and sisters. It's, free. it's not about what you do. It's not about works. There's nothing you can do to earn heaven. There's nothing that you can do to escape hell in your own works. But it's just simply faith in a God who paid the price for you. 
But if you want to reject that, if you, if you want to not believe in that, if you want to not follow the rabbi, there's a reality of hell. But Jesus is the way past hell. Jesus is the way into eternal life with him. Jesus is the way to heaven. I'm so thankful for what he did on the cross. Amen? As I reflect on this new year, I think, man, where would I be without the cross? What would my year look like? There would be no hope. Because before the cross, everything I did was just wrecking my life. I was trying to lead my own life. I was trying to do the right things, but it was literally impossible. Everything I did just dug me a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. But because of what Jesus did on his cross, when I had faith, when I surrendered my life to him and his spirit came inside of me and began to change my motives and change my heart and change the way I think and change the things that I did, now I can have hope for 2017 because the things that I do now are actually producing good fruit. It's no longer digging a hole, but it's actually creating a a bridge for even others to come and experience God. And have intimacy with the Father. Isn't that great news today that Jesus is the way to that kind of a life? Jesus is the way to eternal life. Not just heaven, not just escaping hell, but eternal life now. Heaven now. Heaven not just some ethereal place that we get to go, but heaven in our hearts. The realities of the restoration of God now. In our relationships, in our our heart and thought life in our spirits, and most importantly, in our relationship to the Father. Jesus is the way. The next thing that Jesus declares with his I am statement is Jesus declares, I am the truth. I was once told while speaking the gospel to somebody, they kind of stopped me and thought this was going to be like the, the game changer, the end all, and this is what they said. Well, that's your truth. That's, that's my truth. Have you ever been told that before? Well, that's, that's fine. That, that Jesus thing, that's, yeah, that's your truth. But I have my own truth. That denotes some kind of understanding that there can be multiple truths that even contradict one another but are still somehow true. That's a, that's a very Eastern thinking, and I won't get into that today, but that's, that's kind of flooded our culture, hasn't it? That, that's my truth. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. We can work together. We can ride the bus together, and there can be this, this peace, and I have that coexist bumper sticker, and everything's great, right? But Jesus just, just kills that one. Jesus just destroys that thinking by saying, I am the truth. He doesn't say, I am a truth. He says, I am the truth. The problem with the idea that we all have our own truth and somehow can just follow our heart in our own way, besides the fact that Scripture tells us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all else, is is right in Scripture. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. This is God speaking to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus, God has a way. Jesus, God has thoughts. And this idea of what is true and what is false. And they are higher than ours. 
They are beyond what we as people, I mean, how prideful is it? Think about it. How prideful is it to think that somehow we can create truth or that, that we can somehow be the carrier of our own truth that still works out for, for us but doesn't have to work out for everybody else? That's, that's just foolish. That's not reality. The, the reality is, is there's, there's a truth and Jesus is that truth. Amen. Jesus, my friends, is the truth about creation. There's not several different ways that we were created, brothers and sisters. It doesn't work that way. Jesus was involved in the creation. The, the word was spoken and there was light. The word was spoken and there, there was the, the divide and the, the day and the night and the, the, the land and the sea and all that. Jesus was intimately involved. So Jesus understands and knows the truth about creation. There's one truth. You were created in the image of God. That's the truth. You did not, praise the Lord, evolve from monkeys. Though I look around here and I'm kind of questioning that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. But, but you are made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In the womb, God was already tailoring your life and he had a destiny for you. That is truth. And anything less than that messes with your identity. Anything less than that tells you that you are not worth the kingdom life. Anything less than that tells you that, that everything just kind of happens by chance and you get what you get. Or worse yet, you get what you somehow deserve. And so if you were born in, in, into like maybe like a, a slavery or human tra trafficking or something, well, you just need to accept that because that's what you deserve. Or, or another truth is maybe you did something in your past life as if there, there, we just keep living in these additional lives over and over again that, that somehow caused you to deserve your lot in life now. And you should never try to climb above it. You should never try to live a better life. And that's just not true. And that's not what Jesus taught. And Jesus is the truth. And so he teaches us that we're made in the image of God, created by God. He has a plan for us. He has a destiny for us. And anything less than that is from hell. And everything that he has for us is eternal life. It is kingdom life. And it is good. Amen. And that's what you should be focused on in 2017. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth about morality. <laughs> Moral relativism, meaning that morals are relative based on the person and the circumstance, etc. Like, I can have my set of morals and they're totally right, and you can have your set of morals and you're totally right, and there's no, there's no single morality that exists. In other words, there's no authoritative morality that exists. I am so glad that Jesus is the truth and this isn't the truth. Because where does the line stop? If there's no such thing as, as morality that is central to all humanity, then what's going to stop somebody from saying, hey, in my moral system, it's okay to rob you. Hey, in my moral system, it's okay to just come and, and, and kill you and, and take your, your stuff. That's, that's my truth. I can do that. Unfortunately, this kind of belief has got us to the point where we, we have, have legalized killing infants in the womb. That's okay with us. It's, it's a dangerous slide when you, when you go away from the truth that Jesus is the truth. Our rabbi, that we're the disciples, he's the truth. Where does the, the line stop? Sometimes I think we, we might 
be an, an experiment as a country trying to figure out where that line does stop. How far can we go before it all implodes? Amen. And I'm not trying to be doomsday today. But Jesus and the gospel that Jesus teaches us is the hope for all humanity, guys. Because when we begin to know the truth about morality and what is right and wrong and how we can live in faith and how we don't have to do things like rob from one another to get ahead, how we don't have to kill precious children made in God's image, how, how we, can, we can actually uh, have things like, like sex in, in the right context where it's safe and where it's beautiful and it's God-created and it doesn't have to harm people. When we live like that, then there's so much hope, amen? Jesus is the truth about salvation. Well, all roads lead to the same place. You guys heard that? All religions, I mean, they tell you to be a better person, and if you're a good enough person, you're going to get to heaven. It's okay. All roads lead to the same place. I bet you people who say that have a GPS in their car or on their phone. And I bet you that their GPS doesn't work that way. I don't know about y'all, but when I have Siri telling me where to go on my iPhone and I miss a turn, I hear this obnoxious recalculating, right? Has anyone ever heard that before? Recalculating, recalculating, right? And it doesn't just ever come on and say, you missed your turn, but it's okay because this road will get you there too. The reality is, guys, that not all roads lead to the same place. Look at a map, okay? If you don't have GPS, if you never, just look at a map. Not all roads are going to lead to the same place, my friends. Sometimes you have to make a sharp left turn. Sometimes you just got to do a 180, amen? And if you don't believe that Jesus is the truth for salvation today, I'm encouraging you to make a sharp 180. Stop. You're going in the wrong direction. Every day, every second, every hour that you continue walking in the path that you're walking in, it is not the right way. You got to turn around. You're just getting further away. You're not getting closer. I know you're a good person. That's why you're here today. I know you're not a bad, I know, I know you're saying I'm not the one out there robbing. I'm not the one, yes. But God's standard, holiness, perfection. Have you ever told a lie? Maybe this morning, right? Have, have you ever, you know, lashed out in anger? Well, when my daughter doesn't want to get ready and we're like struggling to get to church on time, there might be some words that come out that I have to repent for later, right? Amen? The standard is perfection. So unless you're a perfect person... You need the truth of the rabbi. You need the truth of salvation, which only comes from Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father. Nobody gets to experience God. Nobody gets salvation. Nobody gets intimacy with the Father if it isn't for Jesus. No other religion offers that. Every other religion is intended and created, dare I say, by the evil one to try to get you to wander as far away as you possibly can from that truth. Oh, that road will get you there. It will get you somewhere, but not to the place you want to be, amen? Good. Recalculating. Okay. Finally, Jesus declares, I am the life. I am so excited about this. 
that God is, a, is my life. Jesus is my life. Jesus has lived a life that I can, can look up to, that I can admire. It's, he, he gives me that road map. He shows me the way, the truth, and then this life that I get to live. We call it here at Springs Community Church the kingdom life. It's the kingdom life. It's this life of restoration. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that God has a life for you? Did you know that, that God is actually very, very concerned about your life? God is very concerned about the plans that he has for you. And did you know the best news of the gospel is it's not too late? It's not too late. You can still live that. Jesus lived a life worth imitating, didn't he? Jesus loved people well. Jesus loved people deeply. Jesus never had to, to put, put on that false face. Do you guys ever do that? Your false self? Am I the only one? I put on that image of how, well, this is what I want people to think of me. This isn't the real me. This is like a fake me somewhere in between so that, that you don't ever have to see the real me because I might be hurt. You might hurt me if, if you see the real me. Or maybe I'm really insecure about the real me. Jesus never had to do that. Jesus was just himself. That's worth imitating, isn't it? Jesus would see people who were, who were sick or would see people who were struggling in life, who would see people who were just in, in incredibly unfortunate circumstances. And Scripture tells us that he would have compassion on them. I remember speaking with a missionary in India, and one of the most just disturbing stories that he told me is just how the untouchables would literally be dying on the side of the streets in mud and filth, and, and people would just walk right by him and, and pretend like they didn't see him and just let him. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus would stop. Jesus would talk to them like they're humans made in the image of God. He would give them dignity. He would give them respect. And better yet, he would heal them. And he would set them free. And he would set them on this kingdom life path. That's worth imitating, isn't it? I want to be that kind of a person. That's the kind of life that I want to live. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus was passionate about what God had sent him here to do. Jesus would not deviate to the left or the right from the, to the right of that plan and that purpose. He knew the Father had called him to save humanity. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew it was even going to be painful and hard, but he would not deviate. Not my will, Lord, but yours. That's worth imitating, isn't it? I want to live a life like that where I know God's purpose and plan, where I hear the voice of God and I don't deviate to the left or to the right. And Jesus was intimately connected with the Father. Jesus spent so much time with the Father that it irritated his disciples. They were like little children. Have you, you, those of you who have had children, right, when you're doing something really important and they kind of feel like, well, they've been ignored a little bit. The disciples were absolute masters of creating drama to try to get Jesus out of that secret place with his father. Jesus wouldn't do it. Jesus would go away. Jesus would hide. Jesus would do whatever he had to do to be intimate and connected and listening to and praying to the father. 
for hours and hours, sometimes days and days. That's worth imitating, isn't it? If I did nothing else in 2017 besides just spend more time being intimate with the Father, I think I would have a good year. Amen? Jesus lived a life worth imitating. Brothers and sisters, I think this is the word of the Lord. Test it. But as I was praying about this week, I just feel like there have been so many curses spoken over you. There have been so many lies spoken over you in your life. Some of you from the time you were just little babies. And this lie that you have to live a lesser than life. You're not lovable. You're not good enough. You should be ashamed. Well, you can never do those kind of things. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Those are lies from hell. Reject those in 2017. Refuse to live those truths any longer. Those are not your truths. Those are not anybody's truths. Those are from hell. Those are from the evil one. They are not true. God's words about you are truest. Amen? Always truest. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. Some of you, there are dreams that have been just hidden so deep inside. You had visions about it when you were younger, the things that you would do, the lives that you would change, the ways that you would imitate Jesus and completely transform your life, those you love, and and even others and strangers' lives. Let me give you a hint. If you have that kind of a dream, it can only come from three places. Are you ready? One is God. That's one place it could come from. Two, your own imagination. Three, demons, Satan, okay? Those are the three places that a dream or something could come from like that. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't think Satan wants you doing that. I don't think Satan gave you that dream to change lives and to to imitate Jesus and do these extraordinary things. I don't think that was from him. As a matter of fact, he wants you to do the opposite of that. Now, I also don't know about you, but I'm not that creative. I'm actually not really that smart to come up with something like that. And I'm kind of lazy, if I'm really being honest. Like, that's a lot of work, isn't it? Like, that's a lot to have to do. I, I just don't think that I came up with that. So that only leaves one other place, brothers and sisters, and that is from Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. He has spoken destiny. He has spoken a plan into your life. And don't go another year ignoring it, amen? Don't go another year not believing it because of these curses that have been spoken over you. Those are lies. You can drop those in 2017, and you can pick up this new mantle that God has for you. You can pick up this new destiny that God has for you in 2017 brothers and sisters because Jesus lived a life worth imitating he is the life and you now get to partake in the life and that makes me so grateful for what he did amen that's the life that you can live now he's the example he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit and he says in Luke 11 which of you If you ask for the Holy Spirit, would the Father not give him? 
If you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, would the Father not give them to you? He's a good Father. He will equip you with everything you need. You just got to take that first step. You just got to trust him, amen. You just got to move. And you can do that in 2017, but, but count the cost. I want to remind you of how we started today, this idea of following the rabbi. To be a follower of a rabbi is a life of total surrender. To be a follower of Jesus To be a follower of Jesus is a life of total surrender. You don't have to be scared. I know that's scary to be out of control, to lose control of your life, to to hand over the reins to somebody else. It's it's the scariest thing you'll ever do, but but brothers and sisters, it's it's the most freeing thing you'll ever do. Because when you learn and recognize that God's heart is good, Faith isn't simply believing in God. Because scripture tells us that even the demons believe and shudder, amen? So it has to be something, faith has to mean something a little bit more than that. Faith is a belief that God is who he says he is. And that God's heart is good. And that God's heart is good for you and towards you. And just like when you were a child, you trusted that caretaker to provide for you, to care for you if you became wounded, to to love you even in spite of yourself sometimes. That's the way we can live. When Jesus brought the little child and said, this is how you have to be, that's what he meant. You want to enter kingdom of God? Good, here's the little kid. Become like that. Little kids just trust the heart of their fathers. Can you just trust the heart of your father? And can you just live this life of surrender? I, wanna, I want us to just ask a few questions today. We're about to take communion, which is just the best way to start the year. Amen? But I want us to take some time and, and really reflect on three questions and ask ourselves one and then ask God two more. Can we do that this morning? Here's the questions. I, I just imagine before we ask this, imagine Jesus showing up at your job. Imagine Jesus just breaking through in your life as, as a man like he did with the early disciples and saying, hey, come and follow me. Leave it all. Drop it. Just come and follow me. Question number one. If you aren't already... Are you willing to surrender every aspect of your life to the rabbi Jesus? If you were to show up and say, come and follow, could you surrender it all? Maybe you already have. Praise God. Teach me. (laughs) Show me. Brothers and sisters, this is a fundamental question. If the answer is no, back to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board for 2017. Make that be the primary thing. Don't make any other New Year's resolutions. Go to the Father. Go to Jesus and say, you have to help me surrender my life. I can't do it in my own strength. Because to be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple of a rabbi. And it costs you everything. You get so much more in return. Amen.
The next two questions are for God. Number two, what does God have in store for you, for me in 2017? What does God have in store for me in 2000? God, what do you have for me in 2017? What great plans, what great visions do you have? I want to live into it. Help me live that life in 2017. And the third question is this. In what area or areas of my life do I need to better imitate Jesus? Is it in your attitude? Is it, is it in the way you love others or love God? Is it the way you treat people? Is it your prayer life? Is it your decision making? In what area of your life or areas of your life do you need to imitate Jesus the rabbi better in 2017? The reason New Year's is one of my favorite holidays is every year I, I just go before God and I just seek him. I say, God, what do you have? Would you speak to me a word about this next year? And God made some absolutely outrageous promises for me in 2017. Outrageous. And if I didn't know that God is such a good God, I would think I was just going crazy. They're that good. And brothers and sisters, that's what I feel about this church as well. And that's what I feel about the people of this church. God is ready to bless. God is ready in 2017 to move us further than we've ever moved. To take us closer to the Father than we've ever been. To fill us deeper with his spirit than ever before. And to equip us to live the kingdom life better than any, ever, any year we've ever lived. So let's spend some time before we take communion, listening, asking those questions and listening, amen. Let me pray for us. God, I love that your word tells us that your sheep hear your voice. I love that we can hear you. We can know your voice. Would you speak to us today? Would you reveal those dreams, those plans? Help us, God, to surrender to your will. Help us, Lord. So just begin. Just, you can bow your head right where you're at. Ask those questions. If there's one question that really burned inside of you, that's probably the one the Spirit's highlighting and wants you to focus on this morning. Just kind of listening, uh, trying to listen to the Spirit. Uh.